One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Sunday, the last Sunday of the year. Are you guys excited? Man, it's going to be a good day. Um, I want to share with you just a little bit today, um, just some things that I learned this last year, some things that the Lord spoke to me, the things that the Lord's convicted me on. And um, I feel like they might be good places for us all to learn from. Um, I think one of the hardest things about being a preacher is oftentimes the things that you preach about are the things that the Lord's convicting you on. So you don't necessarily feel like you can get up here and speak or tell the word or say stuff. But um, really, we're just sharing uh, when you're preaching, when you're sharing, you're just sharing what the Lord is doing in your life. And so I want to share with you some stuff today that I feel like the Lord did in me this week or this year. And the title of this message is Finishing Well. And uh, one of the reasons I felt like um, sharing this word wasn't just because it's the end of the year, but we're also headed into 2020. And I think that it's so important to know how to, in a sense, like, G- like Justin said, how to run that race. When the Lord gives us words, when he does things in our life, there's things that we need to know on how to run that race and how to do that well. And so looking back at this last year and what the Lord had done in Steph and I's life, um, I was looking at maybe some places where I didn't necessarily run that race very well. And it was about February of uh, 2019, this year, um, Steph and I had been thinking about moving from our place in Ocoee. And um, we had been serving here um, since last year, uh, 2018. We started serving here. Um, I wasn't um, full-time or part-time or anything in that manner, but we were just here in a part of this community. We really wanted to be closer. And we'd always felt really a call to Orlando and to this part of, of the city. And, uh, but we lived in Ocoee, and it just felt like when we moved there, it felt like that's where God wanted us to be, but it also felt like this weird suspended place. And um, two years prior to that, I think that would be like 2016 uh, when we moved in, I, um, it, I think it was July of 2016, the, I think it was the month that we moved in, I had had really like strong work, I had a lot of employment, I had a lot of jobs that were coming in, all of a sudden it was just like everything dropped off. And it was like, man, Lord, we just moved into this house, we've got to make the payments now. I was like, what are you trying to teach me through this, Lord? What are you trying to show me? I remember after that, it was just like the Lord, like, sustained, sustained. It was like the season of sustaining that we were in. And in February of this year, I had been, I started reading Joshua, and I don't read Joshua that often. It is one of my, I love the Old Testament books. I love um, Exodus and some of the things that God did through the Israelites during that time, but I don't read Joshua that often. So I started, I felt really impressed to start reading Joshua. And I read Joshua in chapter 1, verse 11, and this verse stood out to me where it said, um, there's two kind of two different translations. One says, get ready, and the other one says, prepare yourself. But Joshua was basically telling the Israelites, listen, the time has come to move. We've been walking in the desert. The Lord has really been sustaining us, and now the time is to move. And that really, those words like jumped off the page at me when I saw that. And I really felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I told Steph, and I said, Steph, I think I think like we're we're gonna move. This is just I don't I don't even actually really know all of what this word means, but I just felt like this is what the Lord's speaking to me. And he's saying, prepare yourself, get ready. And so in a in a funny way, I actually started packing the house. <laughs> and we hadn't even lived in the house like I think like a full two years yet, but I just started packing the house. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this word. I'm gonna start packing. And so <laughs> For like the next four months, we lived in boxes. Like we just had like our, basically our bedroom stuff and a pan and a pot and like two dishes and some silverware. And like that was it. We packed all of our decorations and people would come over and visit. They'd be like, wow, this place is kind of empty. I was like, we're getting ready. We're following the word, you know. (laughs) And, um, but it didn't really seem like there was much movement. Actually, um, right about that time, all of a sudden I got really busy with work again. And probably busier than I've ever been. This last year has been really a, it's a, a season of growth and change. Stretching, I think stretching is probably the right word. Not necessarily the funnest season that any of us like to be in, but it was a season of stretching. And it seemed like I just got all of a sudden, like, I, we packed the house in February. And I said, I don't know when this is going to happen, but we're going to move forward. I packed the house, and all of a sudden it was just like, I was just slammed. 
with work. And it just felt like one thing after another was kind of coming at us there for a while. And all of a sudden, June came around, and it was just like everything fell into place. And we had a realtor come to our house, and they're like, well, we want to give you some time to think about it. And we're like, nope, actually, we're ready. Let's go ahead and put it up. <laughs> and so we put the house up, and then I think it was in like a day, like we had like people put offers on the house. It was pretty awesome. And then we found a place in Fern Park and moved there. But um, that word that I received was so important because if I hadn't been prepared in February, I would never been, have been prepared in June. And what I want to say to us is that the word is important to our lives. And when things aren't going the way that it seems like they should be going, it's the word that sustains us. And so I want to talk a little bit more about in finishing well, that there's principles, I think, there's principles that posture our heart to be prepared for the word. And I think in 2020, many people are here are going to receive words. God's going to do things, in, I would expect, in everyone's life. That there won't be a single person here that God won't do something in your life, and he's not preparing to do something in your life. That there's new and greater things that he has for you in this season. There's new homes. There's more babies. More babies. <laughs> and there's, there's just words that God has for us. But we need to take hold of that word, and we need to be able to sustain it. We need to be able to, when things aren't going the way that it seems like they should be going, that we need to be able to, the word needs to be able to sustain itself in us. And I was thinking even about Mary's life. You know, Mary received a word before she ever received Jesus. The whole angel Gabriel, not to be confused with the one in the back. <laughs> the angel Gabriel, he shows up in, in her bedroom. Imagine this young teenage girl receiving, you know, a vision or the appearance of an angel shows up in her bedroom and he gives her this word, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will conceive the Messiah. And what a, really in a sense, what a weighty word that would have been. And some years ago I was thinking, you know, I was reading this passage about um, when Jesus' brothers and sisters and Mary and they all go to, like, they approach Jesus and they're like, well, we think that you should come with us because we don't know what you're doing and it seems kind of crazy. And I was thinking about, I was like, why didn't anybody ever know where Jesus was from? It seemed like that would have kind of gotten out pretty quickly when they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus person and where is he from. Everybody had different views from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But as you see, of course, as you read in Matthew, you see that every part of his life was fulfilling a prophecy and a word. But for Mary, I was thinking, can you imagine if we'll say when the wise men show up and Herod makes a decree to kill all the children two, two years and younger. Can you imagine picking up all your stuff in the middle of the night and leaving where you're at, it would be like if Steph and I had a child, and we've been here two years, if we had a child and there was a prophecy that that child was going to become the next mayor of Orlando, and the mayor found out about it, and he was like, I'm going to kill all the kids. Can you, can you imagine, really more seriously, could you imagine what that would, how devastating would that would be to all the people that you had been around for two years knowing that they lost their, their child because of something that, God had given you. It would have been a heavy weight. It would have been a heavy thing to bear. And can you imagine, she probably had to keep that secret for the most part of her life. Because how would she ever be able to barter, to do trade, to do things if the community that she was in knew that their whole generation of young boys were lost because of this one kid. It would have affected everything that they did. And so it's oftentimes when we receive the word, it also comes with tribulation and trial. It's not separate thing that, that it's just, oh, just, just blessing. There is blessing in the word. Mary's tribulation and the thing that she was going through also birthed the greatest move in all of history. The greatest thing God has ever done. Even though she experienced hardship and trials, even though she experienced that tribulation, the weight of that word, the thing that she was bearing, it also produced the greatest move of God that we've ever seen, all of us. All of us should bless Mary, bless Jesus. I mean, not, you know, not in that way, but like Jesus is, is king, obviously. But I mean, we should be able to look at Mary's life and say for our own selves, wow, what an amazing testimony of bearing the word. Listen to what James 1, chapter 2, or chapter 1 says. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast, steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I love that part where it says lacking nothing because I think the trials and tribulation aren't just to produce steadfastness, but rather the trials and tribulations and the steadfastness produce something much greater in us, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. If we are steadfast to the word, that promise of salvation is fulfilled in us. So I want to break down some things. What is the word for us? Are you ready? We've got, got a bunch of verses to go through. So what is the word for us? What is the word for you and I? Number one, the word is Christ. John 1, 1 and 18 says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what does this mean? It really means that since the beginning of time, every word that's been written in the Bible has been a promise of God's salvation. It's been about Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of the word since the very beginning. And that promise of salvation is for us. We are covered in his righteousness when we stand before God. When you receive God into your life, when you receive Christ into your life and you believe him, you receive that word. You receive that promise. And that's there are times and situations in our life that we, that's what we have to stand on. No matter what you're going through, it might be really challenging and it might be really tough. It may not be based off a word. It just might be a season of dryness, a season of drought. But we can stand on the salvation of God that he has for us. Amen? So the word is Christ. Number two, the word is the truth that we find in the Bible. It's truth that we hold on to. These promises are the result of the fulfillment of Jesus. So when you receive Christ into your life, you also receive the promises all the way dating back to Abraham, the Old Testament, the New Testament promises. Those are things that the Lord speaks into his people, his beloved, his chosen, those that God loves. And we receive those promises. Here's some promises for us. These are good. Number one, Isaiah 40, 31. But for those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's good. It's good stuff, isn't it? Man, I need some not growing weary. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's good news, isn't it? John three sixteen. The greatest promise, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. These are promises that we can stand on. Whatever, every day we can take up these promises in our life and we can apply them to ourselves. We can apply them to our lives. We can apply them to our families. We can apply them to our households. We can speak these things over us and, and declare the promises that God has for us. Amen. And number three, the word is promises that you have received. We need to hear the word. Each one of you has a word from God. When you receive Christ into your life, you also receive purpose. You receive calling. The Lord begins to do something in your life and to work something in your life. And it starts with the word, just like Mary received on that, on that day. When she received Jesus, she also received a word. Just like early in this year when Steph and I received a word about moving, it was a word that kept us. There were some times it felt hard. It felt too busy. It's like overwhelming. Like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get everything done. It feels like in some ways there's so much to do and things are falling apart. Um, there's problems and things that arise. But it's that word that sustains us. It's that word that carries us. I remember this one time. I was, um, this was years ago. Actually, I was before I ever knew Steph, I was working in Florida. And... Um, and I was up on Lake George. I don't know if you guys know where that's like. A couple hours north of here, central Florida. And I was doing some photography. At that time, I was working for Bass Pro Shops. And um, I was doing some boating photography. And we had been up there many times. I had been there probably like 20 times. And had really gotten a feel for it. And was, was doing well in, in my work. And I remember I was, I can remember this so clearly. 
I was sitting on the edge of the boat as we were driving along, and we had just finished a shoot. And I was thinking to myself, man, this is what I'm made for. This is what I've been called to. This is what I'm really good at. And I was just so, like, convinced in myself, like, yeah, this is it. And it wasn't just, like, probably, like, days or weeks later that it seemed like all of that started to fall apart. And um, I was thinking, you know, sometimes um, the ways that we have, the plans that we have, even though we think that we're making our own way sometimes, it's God's calling in our life that sustains us. And it was immediately after that that the Lord convicted my life and I felt called to do ministry. And um, sometimes we can make plans for ourselves even, but it's the call of God that leads us. It's the call of God when we put that out in front of us. No matter what you say about yourself, it could be good and it could be bad. Isn't that a good thing? Because there's things that we could say about our lives that hey, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, I can't do that, I'm disc- you discredit yourself because of this or that. But when we put the call and we put the word out in front of us and we take hold of that, the Lord sustains that word in our life. Amen? Facing resistance. You know, I love what Justin said last week when he said, um, the things that are moving forward face the greatest resistance. And I think when we receive the word, we can't, we can't, when we receive the word of God, when we believe the truths in the Bible, when we receive Christ into our life, those things don't come without some resistance. But we have to be careful not to give in to the temptation that it's God punishing us or that's hardship. Let's read, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and we'll read through chapter 4, 11. This is about the temptation of Christ. I think it's just one of the most amazing passages in Matthew. It brings so much revelation, really, into my life every time I read it. Um, We'll start in verse 16, though. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Immediately, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord to test. And again the devil took him to the very high mount, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I love this passage because it really shows how much the word of God sustained even Jesus' life. Jesus had a, a revelation, a word from the Lord, right? He comes up from the water after being baptized, and he receives a direct word from God. But it's the words of the, we'll say even the Bible. It's the, it's the words that he received from the Old Testament that sustained him, that gave him truth to defeat the enemy. And I, I think equally for us as believers, when the Spirit of God is driving us into the wilderness and life gets hard and the finish line seems so far away, it's our faith in the promises of God that give us security and carry us through. Just like when James says, it's when steadfast, steadfastness has its full effect that we may be perfect and lacking in nothing. And here we see the example of even Jesus' life. When he's tempted by the devil, when he's in the wilderness, he receives, he receives the Lord afterwards. He receives that blessing by being sustained by the word, by, be, by being sustained by what God was doing in his life. I lost my place here. Hold on, we'll get back. Um, but don't, I want to say this, don't discredit the affliction. There are many things that people go through. And I think for us as believers, it's very easy 
because it's difficult to deal with pain. I don't know if any of you are like me, but like one of the one of the things I hate doing the most, or one of the things I hate the most is going to the hospital. And Steph, whenever I'm sick, she's like, I think you need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, anything but the hospital, right? Because who likes to be in pain? And who likes to see other people in pain? And it's difficult to process other people's pain. It's difficult to process other thing, things that afflictions and temptations. And I want to say this as a body, when we see other people going through stuff, I like what James says when he says, count it all joy when you face hardships. We need to be blessing those and lifting those people up around us and say, carry that hardship like a badge. Carry it like a badge because we believe God's going to do something amazing in your life. God's going to do something phenomenal. There's going to be a mighty move. And I'm expecting for God to do something great in your life. That's where we take place. That's, that's the position that we take as believers when we see people hurting. Every, uh, every hardship in life, everything that, everything that we see, every sickness, every, every place of poverty is an opportunity for the power of God to be used in someone's life through us. The command that we're given is not to just figure it out, but to simply love. It's very difficult to figure out why somebody's going through what it is they're going through. But we shouldn't discredit our part in that. We shouldn't discredit how we can minister to somebody else when we see somebody in pain. We just need to be quick to act. Amen? The hang-up for me, quite honestly, is that the word that I receive, the Bible, the Bible that I know, the truth that I know, the Christ, the Jesus that I believe in, oftentimes doesn't sink into my heart. It doesn't get there. I hear the word oftentimes, but I don't always do the word. And that's where I know many times the Lord convicts me. This last season when we were moving, I was just thinking specific times um, where I felt like I maybe didn't do so good. And one time specifically, when we were in the process of moving from one house to the next, it took like two months or so because I was building and I was doing all this stuff and tearing things out. And I remember feeling all of a sudden one day this conviction by the Lord because I hadn't like gone out and spent any time with him at all. And Steph knows like I generally do like prayer walks. I go out before we lived right next to the Orange Trail. So I would go out in the mornings and I'd take the dog and we'd walk and I'd pray or, or I'd just run or do different things. But I'd spend time with him. And I remember feeling like, man, I've really wounded the Lord because I put my relationship with him second over the busyness of my life. Yes, it's important to move and to do all these things, but, man, I didn't spend time with him. And I felt really this heavy conviction. And what that is is just really not really seeing the word fulfilled in my life in a way that it produces fruit, that it drives me towards Jesus, but rather I let busyness and I let the things of my life Take, take, take or steal my time. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, and I'm reading out of the message for this part. It says, don't fool yourselves into thinking that you are a listener when you're anything but. Let the word go in one ear and, and out the other. Act on, what you're he- act on what you hear. Those who hear and do not act are like those who glance in the mirror walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but rather they are a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in action. Amen. We have to let the word soak into our soul and soak into our life that it's not just hearing, that we don't come here Sunday after Sunday and hear from Justin or different people, and we don't take that thing, and we don't put that to action in our lives, that we don't stand on those truths, that we're, we're not motivated just simply by emotions or anything that's coming our way at any time or any moment, but that the word seeps into our soul and produces steadfastness and produces the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Um, Turn with me over to Matthew 13, 1 through 9. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower. Love this passage. Um, Convicted me a lot, too. (laughs) Um, We'll start in verse 1. Um, Matthew 13 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, 
And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty some and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Here, verse 18 now, says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. And but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but who cares of the world, and but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and it yields, in one case a hundredfold, and others sixty, and another thirty. I believe that God's intention is to move amongst our community to do mighty miracles. But the word has to go out and settle in our hearts like good soil. Amen? I want to break this passage down into four different parts. And starting with verse 19, the, um, understanding. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. When I read this, I immediately thought of uh, the Holy Spirit. Because I think that oftentimes what I read in the word, I don't always understand everything that's in the word that I read. But over time and over the years as I've read, the Holy Spirit comes and he brings revelation into those things. When the Holy Spirit's working in your life, when he's doing things in your life, when, when you're open to the Holy Spirit, you can hear what's being either told to you or taught to you or what you're reading in the Word. You can receive that thing, and you can have understanding. So I think for us as believers, it's just primarily important that we have the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, that it's not a separate thing, but that He's a counselor. I like to think of Him as almost like the interpreter of the Word. When you're reading, it just may seem like words, but when the Holy Spirit's in your life, it's like those, those things are coming up off of the pages and becoming real to you. And that's from the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Number two, the root, no root because there's no soil. So let's read verse 20. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, he immediately falls away. Honestly, this one convicted me so much because um, the Lord gave me this picture uh, when I was studying. It was uh, when we lived at our old place on Ocoee, um, there was these old garden boxes that they had left behind. And I wanted to like revitalize them. And I had like this grand picture of like making this huge garden and it was going to be amazing. And uh, when I went out to dig in the soil, it was like full of rocks, like it hadn't been tended in a long time. There was like weeds and all kinds of stuff, so I'm pulling out the weeds, and but it was full of rocks, and I was like, man, what are all these rocks? It's like they just dumped rocks in this soil, and um, I was thinking, well, it was like, when, if I was going to plant plants, I would like take all those rocks out and then put fresh soil in, right? And I was thinking, the Lord just reminded me of places in my own life, in, in my past and even presently, where I had prayed like, Lord, I have such a hard heart. On this, on this subject, on this very thing, like, it just feels like I can't, can't get breakthrough. And I was thinking, you know, things in our lives like bitterness, um, tribulation, um, hard, hardships, um, anger, those things can oftentimes become stones in the soil of our heart. And those things can fill our heart. And then when the word comes, when you read the word, it can't take root. It can't take hold because everything that you see it's through the lens of that bitterness or through that anger or through that happening, that circumstance, that, that thing that you don't understand. And instead of thinking God is thinking of God as a good God, 
we'd immediately think of, you know, when tribulation comes as God is the punisher. But, you know, do you understand what I mean? And I think that God wants to remove those stones out of our heart, those places of bitterness, those places of anger, those places of resentment, those places that are really clogging up the Spirit of God from working in our lives. What that oftentimes looks like is that, you know, I've been rejected by this person or that person, so God, you must want the worst for me, not the best. And the truth is, if we look at the Word, if we read the passages of the Bible, if we see who God truly is, that that's not the, that's not the God that you serve. That's not the God that you and I serve. We serve a good God. Amen? He wants good things for us. He wants to heal those wounds. He wants to heal those places in our heart, in our heart that rocky soil, and make those places new again. Verse 22, thorns. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, I was thinking, um, if you were to plant stuff in soil, like vegetables and stuff like that, uh, here, you have to take care of it pretty closely, or else bugs and all kinds of stuff get to it pretty quickly. And I was thinking, you know, everything in our lives that we care about, that we find value in, takes time. You have to care for it. And oftentimes, those cares, those things that we have in our life can become overwhelming and can choke out the word that God wants to do in us. Those things that God wants to plant in our life, we end up taking so much care of all of the other things that we don't make room for the Lord to do something in our life. In other words, we have to put um, priority on the word. We can't let the priority of our busy schedules or, you know, even sometimes our family. And I was thinking, you know, Sometimes fam- family is a great thing. It's a gift from God. It's a blessing. Amen. It's, it's, it is an example of God's love for us, especially when the fruitfulness of the Spirit is working amongst our families. But sometimes those things, children are a wonderful thing, and I, I can't speak too heavily into this because Steph and I don't have kids, but sometimes children can oftentimes take up of our time so much that it becomes an excuse for spending time with the Lord. Not to say that children shouldn't be cared for or that jobs shouldn't be cared for. Or if you're a man, I want to speak to you. I can speak into that because I'm a man. <laughs> but if you're a man and if you're like me, it's easy to find a lot of hobbies or things that you like to do. And quite, quick, quite quickly, between work and hobbies and all those different things, it can become thorns in our life that choke out the good things that God wants to do in our life, the things that he wants to speak into us, the places that he wants to lead us into. Number four, the good soil. Let's read verse 23. It says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who bears, who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, 100, 100 another 16, another 30. Just real simply, this is a heart that's open to God and has received the Holy Spirit. And has the understanding of the word and produces fruit. This is where God, I believe God wants to bring us in 2020. Is to be rich soil. That this community is rich soil. That what he speaks into our lives. The words that he gives you. What we read in the word. When we know who Christ is. That those things seep into our life and they grow and they produce fruit. That no matter what circumstance we're going through that there's this fruitfulness and abundance that takes place because the soil of our heart is good. Amen? I'm a practical guy, so I want to give you some practical practical things on like how to do this because I think uh, um, if you're like me, when you feel that conviction, you feel those different things, you're like, how do I get from one place to the next? So I want to give us some practical ways that we can really posture our hearts to openness and remain faithful to the weird prayer, but like when you're praying for stuff, God enjoys. I love mangoes; it's like my favorite favorite fruit to eat. So, and my wife's. Um, so uh, that makes it even better if I have mango trees in my yard because it's like a gift to her, <laughs> and I get to do what I want. Um, um, but uh, so I was thinking, you know, when I 
if you dig into the soil here, or if you spend some time in the soil here in Florida, you find out very quickly it's very nutrient-deprived. It's like pretty much sand. There's like nothing good in that soil oftentimes to grow something. So there's things that you have to do. You have to put stuff in that soil to make the, 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 uh, the soil good for growth. And so I want to give us five vitamins and minerals for the soil of your heart. You ready for this? All right. Number one, dwell in his presence. Now I want to kind of distinctly say that this is different than prayer. Let's read Psalm 91. It's um, just an amazing passage out of Psalms by David. Psalm 91, starting at 1, it says, he who, dwells, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you from his he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalk in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Dwelling in his presence might be one of the most vital things that we can do for our souls. I think because, like, I alone don't have the power to change my own heart. But when the Holy Spirit and Jesus enters my life, he, that conversation and that communion, that daily communion and that conversation, that fellowship, it really begins to be like food for my soul. And I can say just from personal experience that the more time that you spend with the Lord, the more that you find that purest form of delight and joy in him. That all of the other things, they seem like secondary. Have you ever eaten something before and you're like, wow, this is like kosher, like this is the good thing, right? Like lineage cup of coffee versus Wawa or something like that. I know Ben likes Wawa, so I won't bash on them too much. But you know what I mean? It's like, wow, like this is the good stuff. And I think that when you spend time with the Lord, it's like that. You're like, man, this is the good stuff. Everything else that I've been doing, it's just like, it's just like secondary, really, compared to spending time with him. And not only that, you begin to look more like Christ. And so dwelling with him is vital. It's vital for the soil of our hearts. It's important that, that we spend time with him. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, to be drunk, it has to be a continuous thing, right? So equally with the Spirit, it's a continuous thing. Be continuously filled with the Spirit. What does dwelling in his presence look like? It means spending time in intimate conversation with him. I'm going to get to prayer in just a minute, but conversation is, some, is, is a bit different. You know, I love to have conversations with the Lord where I, we, just, we just speak and I just tell him, like, Lord, I don't understand this. What do you mean by this? Or, Lord, you're just so good. Thank you, Lord, for doing this in my life and doing this in my life. Or, Lord, what do you think about this? Or just thinking about the Lord. But it should be on our mind and in our hearts. We should be dwelling in his presence daily, like David says. If we dwell in his presence, then the things that come at us, they have no grip on our lives because he becomes the foundation and the security of our life. Amen? Listen to God. Just listen. Sometimes I just, I tend to run my mouth when I'm with the Lord and talk too much. And sometimes you just need to sit and listen and be in a quiet place. In a practical sense, there's 168 hours in a week. If we were to give God, or to dwell, we'll just say dwell in his presence, if we were to give God 2.5% of, of our week, it would be 4.2 hours. 4.2 hours is 2.5% of our week. That still leaves you 56 hours to sleep, and that's an eight-hour sleep a night. 50 hours to work, that's a six-hour work week plus, if it's eight hours a day. And 58 hours to do anything else. But if we give God four hours of our time every week, that's a small thing. That's only two and a half percent of every week that we live. We sh really, we should be giving God more than that because it's by him that's, that we're sustained daily. 
but it's four hours of our week. And I just want to challenge this because sometimes I need practical ways. I need practical targets in order to hit. You know, I get kind of like jumbled up by all of the stuff. You know, and I need something like in the morning I have to get up and write a list of all the things that I need to do because if not, I get distracted by all the things. So that's not to be harsh or not to be legalistic by saying, hey, give God four hours of your time, but it is to give us a challenge. Because I think if even if I look at my own life and times that I've walked, there's many times I haven't given God, you know, two hours of my week. You know, but I want to challenge us. Can we spend more time dwelling in his presence? Amen. Prayer. Now, this is a this is a kind of a different side to prayer, because I believe also when you're dwelling in the presence, conversation, in a sense, is prayer. That's where you hear from the word, you know. Backing up real quick, a really great place to actually spend time dwelling in his presence is in pre-service prayer. We have 30 minutes before at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock, right? 9 o'clock, we start. And there's just generally a handful of us. But that's a place to actually just dwell and hear from the Lord. At the end of every session, we sit and, we sit and say, hey, would the Lord speak to you? Would the Lord speak to you? And it's amazing, time and time again, uh, you see that the Lord brings us all together by what he's speaking to this person and that person. And you see the unity of the Spirit flowing through our lives. So if you, you feel like, man, I just struggle with like an application of like how to do that, how to dwell. Pre-service prayer is a great place to start. Um, but prayer, we need to spend time in interceding for one another, for your neighborhoods, your streets, your family, and for the lost. This is a vital part of what we do as believers is intercession. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I remember this moment um, when we were first married. It was like the first year that we were married. We were living actually over on Lake Underhill. And that lake there, Lake Underhill, was like my prayer walk place, so I would go around and I had been struggling with, like, every, every day that I would wake up for months, I was, like, exhausted. I just was, like, man. And I had, like, we kept having these intense, intense dreams. And I was, like, I don't know what this is, but I just feel exhausted from dreaming every time that I wake up. Um, some of them are nightmares, and it just kept going on and on for, for months. And um, I remember, like, pleading with the Lord, like, Lord, help me and stuff like that. And that, I'm not discrediting the part of our lives where we have to ask the Lord for help. But I remember the Lord spoke to me specifically, and he said, if you don't fight against this, it won't break. And so it began to change how I prayed. I began to declare really truth of the word over my life and over my mind. And when I did that, it broke over actually both of us, that there was all of a sudden this just freedom that, took, that happened in my mind, and we slept well. But I want to say that's just a small example of, like, what prayer is on the next level for many of us when, when we're praying. When you walk down the street of your neighborhood, you can pray for every single house that's on your street and believe that God is going to do something in every single one of those houses, in every single person. That salvation and freedom, that healing will come to every single home and that your entire street would be saved. When you're believing for missionaries or different people on foreign fields, you can believe that God is going to sustain them. I remember so many times being in a foreign country and just knowing that I know some right, right now someone's praying for me because this situation looks a little bit rough. <laughs> it looks a little bit bleak. But, but people, I want to say that many times in the, in the scriptures, Paul ends his, his books with pray for us, right? Because there's power in that prayer. And he realized that it's not just even what he can do. And I want to say this, the problems that, you're, that are going on in your life don't discredit the power of prayer that you have for someone else. I think sometimes we throw away what it is that we have or what it is that we can do for somebody else and how we can intercede for somebody, how we can, how we can change even the spiritual atmosphere of our communities, our church, our city, because of the things that are overwhelming our life, whether it's sickness or tragedy or different things, and we think we don't have any effectiveness, but that's not true. You're an effective believer for the Lord, and God has given you a weapon. He's given you a sword, and it's called intercession. In a sense, intercession is like the high ground because the victory has already been won through Christ when he died on the cross. So when you intercede, it's like you have the high ground over the enemy. 
Amen? Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Our prayer life needs to be filled with faith and understanding that you and I have the power to demolish every curse and every sickness, every stronghold in our minds, in other people's hearts and lives, that we can believe that God is going to do something for them. And it takes, it really takes our eyes off of ourselves when we're interceding for others. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we just need to take our eyes off of our own problems and believe that God's going to do something for, for another person. And then the Lord comes and he delivers us in that prayer. Amen? Number three, thanksgiving. When we take communion together, it's really like the, the most beautiful picture of thanksgiving. Because it is, in a sense, like the greatest thing that we could ever give thanks for, that Christ died to set us free. That when we, did, we stand someday before the Lord, that we'll be covered by his righteousness. That though we are sinners and though we continue to sin, that we have a tendency to sin, that it's his righteousness that covers us. But we can maintain that in every meal. We can maintain that in every part of our life. We can continue to give thanks and release joy and prosperity into our lives. James 1, 16 through 18 says, My dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There's nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced and nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word and showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. I love that because it's a beautiful picture that all the things that are good in our life, if we stop to think about it, we could all go around the room right here today and we could spend the rest of the day giving thanks for all that God has done in this last season of 2019. And when we head into 2020, we need to carry those things with us. I love that picture of the Israelites that before they crossed over into the promised land, they built an altar at the Jordan. And they said, whoever sees this will know of basically what God has done for us, that he delivered us out of Egypt. And even when we celebrate the Passover, if you celebrate the Passover, in a sense, it's still a reminder of what God has done. And that reminder is so important in our lives daily. It's important to be reminded daily of what God is doing us because there's sometimes in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the desert, just like Jesus was going through. And he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's a word that we can each receive that no matter what's happening in 2020, no matter what's happening in our lives, that you can finish well with there's thanksgiving in your life. Amen. I love that. In, in Tracy's story, I love that part. When she says, everything I've seeded controls you and given to Jesus works out. And sometimes Thanksgiving is that place you don't necessarily have that answer immediately. But you're seeding control and you're saying, Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in my life even now and even coming. And I seeding, I'm seeding control to you. Amen. Ephesians 5.19 says, says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, honoring the word. The word must take precedency in our lives. You know, when you're running a race, you don't start, you don't start running a race to, like, finish halfway. You run, you run a waste, race, a waste. You run a race to finish. Amen? So... In order to finish, you know that you have to practice, and there's things that you have to do beforehand that get you to that place to finish that race. I love, um, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded, and Justin already read it today, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
equally. Let us throw off everything that hinders the word in our lives. Those thorns, those cares, those things that are clogging up our heart. Let us let the word take precedency in our lives. Let it become the foundation of everything that we do in 2020. Every time that we wake up, we take the word and we declare it over our lives. We declare it over our families. And we hold fast to that truth that the Lord is doing in our lives. Amen. Number five, building an altar. And then we'll wrap up. Um, if you want to turn to me, with me to Genesis 35, starting at verse 2, and we'll read 2 through 4 and 9 through 18. And it says, So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears. Starting at verse 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. And the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give you. And I will give the land to your offspring and after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And so Jacob called or named that place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Worship team, you can come on up. I want us to see two things here. Number one, Jacob set him and his family apart and consecrated them so that they may go up and build an altar. Here, Jacob recognizes the goodness of, of God and tells his family to get rid of anything that replaces the image and the provision of God. And number two, when Jacob moves, he goes to worship God, and then God speaks a blessing over Jacob's life. When we worship the Lord and we set him as the foundation, that word, the blessing of God, begins to be poured out over our lives. But we must first honor the word in such a way, we must honor the Lord in such a way that we get rid of things get rid of thorns, get rid of stones, and posture our, our, ourselves before the Lord in such a way that, the, that he becomes the main provider, that he becomes the provision of our lives. And I love how when it's when Jacob moves, when he moves, when he goes to God, when, he, when, he, when God gives him a word, he goes and he moves, and then God blesses his life. And I believe 2020 is going to be a place of blessing for many people, but first we must move like Jacob did. We must get rid of things in our lives that are idols or represent the provision of God in our lives. Because God is our provider. Amen? Let's stand.